morning, bitches, and welcome to Wellness for Real, the podcast where we talk about all things wellness. I'm your host. My name is Marlena, and if you're new here, welcome. We have so many amazing episodes, so make sure you go back and check those out as well. We talk about everything on this show. I was inspired to start this podcast after uh, finally finding success in my own weight loss and wellness journey uh, by finally shedding all of the toxic diet culture bullshit and just embracing finding what works for me. So we share other people's stories, uh, tips, tricks, all the things, um, and we talk about it all. So buckle up, y'all, because it's about to get real. Morning, bitches, and welcome back to Wellness for Real. It's your girl, Marlena, and today I'm joined by two lovely ladies. I have my co-host here, Felicia. Hello. Hey. And we have a special guest today, Tere. How you doing, girl? Hi. I'm good. Yeah, so podcaster, model, educator, mom, all the things. (laughs) You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, no, I'm Teresa. Sometimes I go by Tere either one. (laughs) Um, And like um, Marlena said, I'm mom, uh, content creator, podcaster, teacher, just, you know, I wear all sorts of hats and I juggle back and forth. (laughs) A woman doing all the things. We love to see it. Uh, So recently I was on your podcast. So uh, your podcast, Tere Tells All. Uh, So if you haven't listened to that, definitely go check that out. Your podcast is super similar to ours. Um, You just talk, bring on people and share their stories and, um, talk a lot about different aspects of wellness. Um, so do you want to share like your wellness story and journey? Yeah. So mine started, um, when I started teaching, I was, um, a fourth grade teacher. And if you know, fourth graders, you know, they're little balls of energy. And when you have like 25 of them, that's, you know, 25 times the chaos. And when in the classroom, it was pretty easy to keep them contained, to keep them engaged. But the very first time that we had a field trip, so we had to take the kids outside of the classroom environment, um, it was a field trip and I just could not keep up with them. And that was kind of like my, my light bulb moment, my epiphany, when I realized that I wasn't being the best teacher that I could possibly be because my health and my weight were holding me back from like being an active, healthy adult. Um, and then that was also carrying on to, to my home life. So, you know, I would teach all day and then I'd come home and all I would want to do is just crash on the couch. And, you know, at that time, my little seven, eight year old would be like, gosh, mom, why are you so lazy? And man, that hurt because it wasn't that I was lazy because here I was, you know, busting my balls all day, every day. And I was like, I'm not being lazy. I just like, I physically cannot Um, so I decided to, to make a change and it was, for me, it was kind of like a ripping off the bandaid. I feel like a lot of people always ask like, what's your motivation? How'd you get started? And like I said, for me, it was just, it was just that moment when I was like, okay, no, enough is enough. I got to do something. So I went to the doctor and I told her to scare me straight. And she did. She, you know, she told me all my stats. We did the blood work. She told me I was pre-diabetic. She was telling me I was looking at heart disease in my thirties, you know, all the stuff. And, um, that, that's exactly what I needed to hear, honestly. And immediately after leaving there, I started looking at, uh, group fitness classes because I didn't know how to work out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do at the gym. So I was like, I need someone to teach me 
Um, so I started doing a boot camp. I did this um, place. It was called Fit Body Boot Camp. I did that for about a year, two years. And within my first year, um, I lost um, about 80 pounds, all just like circuit training, hit type of workouts. Um, but yeah, and then from there, I transitioned over to CrossFit and to Olympic lifting. And now I just kind of like to dabble in any and anything, every and everything, because it just, it keeps me on my toes and then I don't get bored of it. And I, I just love it. What's Olympic lifting? Olympic lifting. So it's kind of like power lifting, but the, the technique is a little bit different and they have extra lifts. So, yeah. That's <laughs> badass. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, that's awesome. So, like, growing up, were you, like, um, were you, like, athletic? Like, did you always struggle with your weight? Is that something that was, um, like, always an issue for you? Or did that kind of happen later on in life? No, it's always been an issue somewhat. But I think it didn't get bad until I was an adult. Um, my sisters are both super tall and lean. And I was always, you know, the little shorty. And... I was the little butterball of the family of the sisters, right? So um, I did always struggle with that because I would compare to my sisters and be like, why don't I look like my sisters? Or why am I so much shorter? Why can they eat all the same things I eat, but then it affects me this way and it doesn't affect them the same way. Um, and it didn't help that, you know, when you're, especially in Latino culture, you know, you get nicknames Mm -hmm. And sometimes the nicknames are a lot have to do with your appearance. So my dad always called me gordita. And so I was always his gordita. And that, that shit sticks with you. Yes, I don't know if I can curse, I'm cursing. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, Please yeah. do. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I was always his, his gordita. And people always call me gordita. And for as long as I can remember being a little girl being called fat. And, yeah. you know, I look back at pictures and sometimes I'm like, I was not fat. Like. I was a normal, like 12 year old girl. I was not fat. Um, but yeah. And then like in high school, I did in middle school and high school, I did do some athletics. Um, I ran cross country and then in high school I was on the dance team. And so I was pretty active, but then once I became a mom and all I did was work and go to school, work and go to school, that along with depression, it really, it took a toll on me. And that's when I really, really started to gain weight. Yeah. So you mentioned being a mom. So you became a mom really young, right? Yes. I, I became a mom in high school. I found out I was pregnant towards the end of my junior year, like January, wow. middle of my junior year. And then I had my son right at the beginning of my senior year. So, you know, you go back to school in the fall. I had my son in September. <laughs> so I went to wow. school for like a week or two and then <laughs> I had my son. Wow. But so what was that like? Like, how did you, how did you get through all of that? You know, it's a blur sometimes. Like, <laughs> you know, I sit here and I think back, but I think I had a lot of people in my corner to help me, including my school. Um, I was, I, my school offered a homebound uh, program so that, you know, pregnant teens don't drop out of school. And that was never my intention. Like I always knew I was like, I was going to finish school and I was going to go to college. So that wasn't even an option on the table, but them having this um, homeward bound program helped me stay on track with my classes. So I would be at home all day with my newborn. And at the end of the day, my counselor would come by or a teacher, they'd send a tutor and they would bring me all my schoolwork. And she would teach me the things that I didn't know or I'd have all this reading material to teach myself. And so I was able to stay on track with my peers so that I could still graduate on time. So I still graduated with all of my friends. 
Um, I remember I didn't want to go to prom because my mom, once I did go back to school, my mom took care of my son while I finished high school and prom was coming around and I felt bad asking my mom to babysit so I could go to prom and I wasn't going to go. And at the very last minute, they were like, no, you're going to regret it. If you don't go, you need to go. So that was really cool because yeah, otherwise I would have missed prom. I felt guilty taking that time. But even since then, I think ever since a teenager, I learned about mom guilt and I didn't know that that was what I was feeling. I was feeling mom guilt, but um, yeah, like ever since the very beginning and college was just as brutal. You know, I was working full time. Um, I was a registered pharmacy tech, so I would work at the pharmacy 40 hours a week. And then I would take uh, classes. I would take hybrid classes. So I would go to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays evenings after work. So I get off of work at four. I'd go to school from five to 10 p.m. And then I would do the rest would be online. I remember I'd be writing term papers at 2 a.m. and my son asleep on my bed. I just it was a nonstop blur of work. And I think in that moment, you just you just do what you need to do to get through it. But now I look back and I'm like, holy shit, like, how did I do it? How did I do it? That's literally Amazing. what I'm sitting here thinking. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, that's honestly, somebody, that's, that's, that's incredible. Incredible for people yeah, to think they can't you do know, it. We sit here and we say like, oh, that's incredible. But I, a lot of other parts of my life suffered because of that. Um, my self-worth suffered because of that. My self-confidence. Um, you know, I'm the firstborn in my family. So not only am I first generation Mexican-American, I'm also the firstborn. And I was the first one to go to college. And so whenever I got pregnant, I felt like a total failure. So for like the next 10 years after that, I felt like I was constantly having to make up for that or to make my parents proud because I had already fucked up once. So I can't fuck yeah. up again. And so all of that, it took a toll and, you know, severe depression. That's when I gained the majority of my weight. Once I got to college, like after I graduated high school, I, I think at my heaviest, it was a little bit over 250 and I'm 5'2". So 250 on a 5'2 frame, you know, that's a lot. Um, but yeah, so I, I see the achievements that I, that I have, but then I also see like the toll that it took to get those achievements. And unfortunately, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Something right. had to give. And at that point it just, it was me. Yeah. yeah you sacrificed yourself and your, your self-worth. Mm -hmm. And so at what point did you realize, okay, I need to start taking care of me now. So it started with the weight loss once I became a teacher, um, because then I wasn't, you know, running 20 hours a day. So I was able to just like focus on just my career. But then that's really when I like stopped to reflect and realize where I was. And so I started with, with weight loss. And, you know, I used to think that a lot of things were going to get solved if I lost weight. Like, you know, when I lose weight, I'm going to be able to keep up with my students and I'll be able to keep up with my son. When I lose weight, I'll be able to wear whatever I want. When I lose weight, I'm going to start dating again because I didn't date when my son was little. I mean, where, where would I have the time? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah. So I had all of these ideas that like, when I lose weight, my life is going to change. And I remember when I hit my, my goal weight, I had a very specific number that I just pulled out of the air and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be this number. And I remember I, I reached that goal weight. 
I got to the gym. My trainer, my coach was super happy. We took pictures and we celebrated. And then I went home and nothing else had changed. I was still very sad. I was still alone. I was still depressed. Um, and so then it went from, okay, well, maybe it's because I have all of this loose skin around my stomach. So I can't be confident. So I saved up. I maintained the weight off for a couple of years. I saved up the money and then I got a tummy tuck. That still didn't make me happy because then I just found other things to critique, right? And so what the biggest game changer for me was realizing that it didn't matter how much I fixed the outside. It was the inside of me that I needed to fix. So I sought out therapy. I started going to a therapist and I started working on all of, all of the stuff that I had just been piling up through all those years, all that generational trauma, all that mom guilt, all that lack of self-confidence, all that not knowing my worth. And so when I finally sit down with my therapist and we started dissecting all of that and I was able to reflect on like why I felt this way or how these things, you know, trickled into other aspects of my life, that's when I really noticed the biggest change in me then it didn't matter that I had scars and it didn't matter that I had cellulite like I, I was just happy to be me to be alive to be thriving and so I always say you know you can heal that you can heal the outside all you want but remember to heal the inside too they go hand in hand until this day they still go hand in hand yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talk about that all the time Thank on the you. show here. Like if you're having issues with food, it's probably not about the food, right? <laughs> like if you're struggling with your body, it's, you know, it's always starts with your brain um, and what's going on internally um, and in your heart. And you mentioned like <clears throat> generational trauma, you know, coming from um, Mexican family. So your first generation Mexican-American mm-hmm. um, and you're the oldest. Mm-hmm. And I think like culturally, like you really only fully understand what that means if you know, right. Yeah, um, so do you like, kind of want to explain like what type of pressures and what that, what that did to you? <laughs> you know, I always like, it's little things that I think most people take for granted. Like I, I went on a date recently and, uh, somebody like the, the guy that I was talking to, you know, he was telling me about the kinds of shows that he grew up watching And I couldn't relate to any of that because I grew up watching telenovelas because our TV (laughs) wasn't Spanish all the time, right? So I didn't know anything about like pop culture. I didn't start listening to like music in English until I was probably like 12, right? And that's because (laughs) I wanted to fit in with my peers. Yeah. Um, But even things like going to college. So both my parents born in Mexico um, and neither of my parents got an education. My dad didn't really go to school at all. My dad was actually, my dad didn't learn how to read until he was an adult and he came to the United States. Wow. Yes. And That's then amazing. my mom was forced to drop out at about fifth grade to help around the home, around the house or with the home and family business and stuff. So neither of my parents received a full education. So growing up, they always told us, you need to be educated. You need to go to school. You need to get a degree. And the thing is, they didn't know how to do that because they didn't do that, right? So they don't—they didn't know how college worked. They didn't know about applying to college. They didn't know about college acceptance letters, about college credits. So if my parents couldn't guide me in that, it was up to me to figure that out. And then I had to, you know, then pass the torch on to my younger brothers and sisters. So it's a lot of generational trauma like that. Um, you know, also things like 
just culturally, you know, you're supposed to be married. You're supposed to have a man of the house who's a provider. I don't have any of that. I'm my own provider, (laughs) you know, but it's just like little things. Um, I recently had a podcast with um, Jacqueline. She's a counselor and we talked about generational trauma and cultural trauma. And one of the other things we talked about was chancla culture, you know, like in Hispanic households and in many other households, it doesn't have to just be Hispanic, but you discipline kids by, you know, spanking or smacking them with a sandal or a belt or things like that. And that's how I was raised. But that also, I think, affected me a lot because my parents noticed when I would do bad things and I would immediately get punished. I would immediately get the chancla or get the belt. But if I brought home an A, nobody clapped for me. Yep. If it I was made expected, honor roll, right? Right. If nobody, if I made honor roll, nobody cared. I got, mm-hmm. I remember when I made drill team, I was so excited. I made drill team and I was like, I'm going to get my letter jacket. I'm going to do all of this to my parents. It didn't, it didn't mean anything because they didn't it, know. They didn't experience it. Yes. And so all those little moments that, sorry, I'm probably going to tear up here. All those little moments that to me were like such prideful, joyful moments nobody could relate to me and nobody could share that joy with me. So when I speak about culture and generational trauma, I'm talking about those things. And that's why when I became a mom, I was like, that's not how I'm going to discipline. And I'm going to celebrate my kid for all his wins. And, you know, my, my son has been playing football since he was like eight years old. And I am at every fucking game I remember I went to a conference in Austin Texas it was a Saturday game I had a conference in Austin Texas I left the conference early and drove straight back to Houston two hours straight to the football game because I was not going to miss the game because I was the kid who I would look up at the stands and I didn't have anybody there and I never wanted my son to feel that way so when I talk about cultural and generational trauma, those are the things that I think about that a lot of people take for granted. So I can, I so can relate as I was, I had a young mom and I went to college the first person I had no help, like, just like you, like Mm -hmm. just sort of navigating these situations solo um, and not understanding and, you know, not having anyone there to support you. And I, I so can relate to some of those moments and they are so traumatic and they stay with you. Um, yeah, they definitely do. The beauty is that you are breaking that cycle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's the piece that's so important. Right. Um, and then that's why I always said, like, I didn't seek out to become an influencer or, you know, my platform just grew out of nowhere and, and I went with it, but I always feel like if I was given this platform, if I am able to share my voice with others, then I need to use it for good. And so I'm going to help amplify others' voices. I'm going to talk about these topics that need to be discussed because if it helps one other person make a change in their life, then it will have been worth it. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask for this, but I'm going to use it for good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And we love, we love you for sharing all of that. Cause it is so relatable. Even the pop culture piece, even to this day, <laughs> they're almost 35. Well, by the time this airs, I'll be 35. Um, so often people will talk about things or 
you know, like it's just normal to them. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. I don't know who that <laughs> is. Like I have no, like, you know, TV shows and music and things like that. Um, yeah. And same with like the schooling. Like I went to my parents worked really, really hard to make sure we got a good education. So we all went to a Catholic private school. We grew up in a city that has horrible public school systems. Um, but I remember like every event the school would throw, like everybody's mom would be there baking and bringing mm-hmm. all the stuff. And, you know, I would just be there by myself because my mom was working cause she mm-hmm. had to work. Right. Yep. Um, and even being home alone all the time with just our siblings. Right. And like, I was the youngest, so I'm on the opposite spectrum from you. Um, but yeah, all this stuff, like it sticks with you as it an does. adult. And when you grow up and that's your normal, it's like one day you wake up and you realize, holy shit, this is not normal. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> this is why I have struggled dealing with my emotions or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so then like you're left as an adult to like heal that child that never got that mm-hmm. attention and never uh, received that. Yeah. Those things that we needed. Um, and I know we all love our parents. Right. And they did the best with what I they say that had, all the time. All yes, right. Like yes. I hear about my parents upbringing and I'm like, holy shit. Yes. Like, that, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, like I know for my parents, they both grew up um, in Puerto Rico with and Puerto Rican culture is different um from a lot of other latin cultures like i know you mentioned like for you it was like expected that you like got married and the man is like the head of the house puerto rican culture is very female dominated um which i love i'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) um like the woman like does a lot you know and um has you know runs the household even in puerto rican culture when you get married you take the woman's last name um really i did not know that yeah but that being said um there's a lot of toxicity that comes from that too right like Mm -hmm. so oh man like there's just so much that just gets passed down to us and our parents did a little bit better than theirs and hopefully we can just continue to do better and break those cycles um but you're breaking like some really important cycles um specifically that chancla culture you know i we used to get our asses beat you know I that's had a just wooden spoon was my thing yeah <laughs> we would get the belt and the switch and the chancla and all of it yeah. right and it was like sometimes i look back and i think about the things that we would be punished for and it would be like shit that you literally could not even control no. right right <laughs> and then you know i'm i i'm very passionate about that you know i said that my parents would notice that if I did something bad, they would notice it. I would get spanked or I would get the belt or whatever. Yep. And that did not make me correct the quote unquote bad behavior because half the shit wasn't even bad behavior. It was just normal kid shit. Right. 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 So them hitting me didn't make me correct that. All it made me do was resent them and be right. mad at them. Mm-hmm. And I think that really affected our relationship from like 13 up until I got pregnant. I, my mom and I would fight and argue over everything like I would scream and yell I I was a horrible teenager like when I say I was bad I was bad um not like I was out you know being a crazy teenager but just like in talking back like I talked back because I felt like I held so much in and I talked back a lot and you know I think back and like there there could have been so many other ways that my parents could have approached that but they didn't know because that's how they were raised. That's how their parents were raised. So then they just, they did what they knew. And I think with becoming or having a, a, 
getting a better education or just getting an education in general because they didn't have one, I learned how to treat people or at least kids, or not how to say it, like raise them without having to physically harm them, mm-hmm. right? Especially because I wanted to be a teacher. So all of my, all of my college courses were child-centered. So child psychology, child literature, child this, early childhood. And then I love psychology. So I did a lot of like psychology as my um, electives. And I accidentally ended up getting a minor in psychology, like I, just because I loved psychology that much. So I did a lot of like women's psychology and um, Lati- Latino culture psychology. And so all of those little things kind of like made me open my eyes and made me realize why I felt a certain way and what I could do to break those cycles. And so, you know, my parents didn't have that bless their heart, but now that I'm an adult, I can say I love them and I respect them. And I know they did the best they could with the resources and the education and the information that they had, but it stops with me. So moving forward, we're not going to do that. We're going to do things differently. And I think there's such a, a empowering feeling about that and sharing that with other people too who maybe they just don't realize who you know might have a kid and they just they just know how to spank so that's what they're going to do moving forward but they need to know that there are other ways besides just spanking a kid and sending them to their room and yelling at them and calling gordito gordita yes absolutely recently (laughs) i had this yeah right recently i actually had this massive like uh, aha moment you know when i get really depressed, I isolate myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and, or if I'm really struggling, I isolate myself. And then I started thinking about when I was a kid and I've always been a very emotional person, uh, who feels very, very deeply. Um, and when I would have those moments, I would just be locked in my room by myself as a child. Right. And it would be, Oh, let Mm -hmm. us know when you're done. Let us know when you're (laughs) done having a fit. Right. Cause that's how our parents, that's how they saw it. Um, and I'm like, man, this shit still affects me to this day and how I react when I'm struggling. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and I I don't know if this is something that you guys heard a lot growing up. Um, but like for my parents, it was like, children are meant to be seen, but not heard. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's saying, and it's like, well, no wonder why we have this entire generation (laughs) of, of adults now who like, you know, just feel so unheard all the time. Unseen. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, just I had a single parent situation, so I was alone a lot. I mean, with no siblings at a very young age. And so Mm -hmm. I think that has its own impact of just sort of, it was sometimes scary even, you know, to be a kid and be alone. And, but, you know, my mom was working, like you said, it wasn't because she was out you know, rocking out or you know, raging. <laughs> right. She was working. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, back then they didn't have, she couldn't afford to have me with anyone, you know, but you, there's all these emotions that come with it that I didn't even know that's what they were from. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't mm-hmm. know where it's coming from now that I'm an adult. I get it. My mom's a therapist. I have a degree in psychology, a minor in child psychology and business. I have worked it out, but I didn't know I carried it for so long, just feeling almost abandoned in mm-hmm. a way. You know what mm. I mean? So it's just those things and they come out in weird ways. And believe me, my mom and I, it was rough as a teenager. I mean, I'd like, I'm going to empty the garbage and I have my clothes in the garbage and not come back. <laughs> That's the kind of shit I would pull. <laughs> That's really smart. I know it was pretty <laughs> slick though. Okay. Like, I mean, like who does that? Okay. I mean, I was terrible, you guys. 
but now, you know, she's, I, I look, my mom went to college when I went to college. She made the decision late in life to go back to school. And, um, and so I look at her in a whole different light now, but then it was really traumatic and I carried it with just trying to fit in almost always feeling like, because I was a, the only child in situations, friendships were like family to me and just trying to mm -hmm. always navigate my place. Um, and that's a lot for a little kid. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So now moving forward, like, as you know, being an adult, do you have these conversations with your parents about like how these things affected you? Like, do they acknowledge it? Um, like, I, cause I know those conversations would be real difficult with your families. Mm -hmm. No, we definitely do. Um, I like to stir the pot a lot. <laughs> Same. <laughs> My mom's shit a lot. Um, Same. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel, I feel, you know, sometimes I do feel like a total bitch when I stir the pot, but then sometimes I'm just like, no, because they didn't know and it's never too late to learn. Right. And so I'm, like I said, I'm the oldest of five. And so my sister and I, we were brought up exactly the same you know, same upbringing, same type of punishment, same everything. But my youngest sister, um, my parents wanted to treat her the same way, like the same, like, no, you can't go out. No, you have to stay home and clean and the spanking and whatever. And by then I was already a mom. I already had my son and I was already an adult. So I was like, mom, you cannot, you cannot treat her the same way that you treated us. Like you cannot go in there and lock her in her room, not like metaphorically, not physically, right. like actually locking her right. in her room, right? But like, like if she wants to go out with her friends, you have to trust her, give her permission, give her a curfew, trust her that she's going to make the right choices from everything that you've taught her, but you can't treat her the same way because she's gonna end up knocked up at 17 like me, right? Fun fact, my sister, my sister after me, we were both pregnant at the same time. She was 16. So my parents had two pregnant teens at their house at the wow. same time. Yes. So when my youngest sister was a teenager, we're like, you cannot do that shit to her. Like, do you want a third pregnant teen daughter? <laughs> like, no, give her some freedom, give her some trust, respect her the same way that you would want to be respected, but you have to let go here a little bit. And um, I think that my sister and my youngest brother, for sure, my baby brother, they did not get the same upbringing that the three oldest ones did at all. And that's because, you know, we would talk to our parents about that. Um, I talk a lot to my parents about like machismo culture and how like fucked up it is. And so, you know, I mentioned this in my last podcast, my dad would always ask me like, when are you getting married? When are you gonna have a boyfriend? When are you gonna live a lot? And I like, I snapped one day and I was like, why the hell do you want me to get married so bad? Like, why do you want me to have a man by my side? Like, I'm not opposed to getting married. I'm not opposed to having a partner, but my worth is not determined by me having a spouse or not, right? I was like, dad, I have my child that I raised. He's a big 16 year old now. Like I have a roof over my head. I pay my own bills. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I get to travel. I get to do all of the things that fulfill me without having a man by my side. So why is it so important for you that I get married? Like I didn't, you know, and he reflected on that and he was like, you're right, you're right. And he's never brought it up since. Wow. Um, but things, you know, things like that. Yeah, I do like to stir the pot. Um, a lot of, uh, what's, what do you call like, um, like beliefs, like a lot of 
Hispanic culture believes, I'm just like, I always question it. My mom, like, okay, where did you hear that? How do you know that's true? ¿Quién te dijo? And then she'll be like, oh, well, your grandma told me. Okay, who told my grandma? I don't know, the gente, the people from the pueblo. I'm like, exactly. There's no science behind it. There's no, it's just something that someone made up, right? And so I, I do like to stir the pot a lot. And, you know, sometimes they, they see it and sometimes they just agree to disagree with me. And that's okay too. But yeah. at least we're talking about those things. Whereas before, when I was young, I would just shut up and internalize everything. Yeah, totally. Same thing for me, for sure. Um, just recently, I would say over the last few years, I've become more and more comfortable talking to my parents about specifically more my mom. Um, it was about my experiences growing up and the trauma that I experienced and how that affects me now. Um, and the trauma that they passed down to us too, unknowingly, right. Cause mm -hmm. it's just what they knew. Um, and it was something I was always so afraid to tell my, talk to them about, you know? Um, but it's like, the more I do it, the, the more comfortable it becomes and the more our relationships grow. Um, mm -hmm. so got to get through that painful stuff, right? Like growth yes. is not comfortable. Um, no, we got to no. grow. Um, so I want to talk to you about modeling, um, because I love that you represent, um, not just Latinas, but like mid-sized women, curvy women. Um, and I'm just curious, like, how did you get into modeling? How did that happen for you? Was it intentional? No, no, it was not intentional. Um, so after I, I went to therapy and I started getting my confidence back, um, one of the things that I would do, and I still do to this, to this day is like, I would look at myself in the mirror, just in my underwear, because I, I, you know, we get so used to mainstream media having these like super toned, sleek, slender, tall bodies. And I didn't look like that. So I knew that the only way that that would become normal for me, like seeing bodies like me is if I just embraced my body. So I would just, you know, get ready in the morning, brush my teeth with just my underwear. I would see the way that my skin moves, see the way that my body folds, see my stretch marks on my tummy from my pregnancy, from weight loss, from weight gain, the cellulite. And it just kind of became normalized to the point where I just felt confident in anything that I wore, anything that I did. And I think that started to kind of come across in photos. And then people would tell me like, oh, you're so photogenic. And it wasn't like I purposely was trying to be photogenic. I think people just saw that I felt good in my body. And so then that kind of transitioned into, you know, posting my post-workout selfies at the gym and seeing the confidence in those post-workout selfies. And then um, eventually it just kind of, it snowballed from there. Um, to the point where, you know, I was posting on my Instagram quite often. And then a couple of photographers started reaching out like, Hey, I'm trying to grow my portfolio. Like you just want some free pictures, right? Just to grow their portfolio and be like, yeah, sure. I, I Googled them to make sure they weren't like creepy, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah. So then it kind of just started happening like that. And then, um, I had a couple of things like that on Instagram. And then finally, I think eventually Buff Bunny found me. And then they, were, they asked if I wanted to um, be with them. So I became an exclusive um, athlete and model with them. So now I model with them, um, all the fitness wear with them. And then from there, it's just, 
I've gotten many other opportunities to do the same thing. And so whether it's modeling um, bathing suits to modeling fitness wear to just lifestyle clothing, I like that now I can represent, like you said, all those mid-sized bodies because you know, you see something on a website or on a mannequin or hanging in the store and you think like, that's not going to look good on me. There's no way I can wear that. I am not going to fit into it. And I like being able to be like, look, bitch, grab it, <laughs> put it on and be like, yes, you can. Yes, we can. We can still rock it. We don't have to be a size two. It doesn't matter if you have stretch marks or this or that we can look good too, because we are good enough as well. And so that's, that's my biggest um, motivation into continuing the modeling. I think I love it. I love seeing, because I'm curvy, to be able to see someone who I think looks like me in something yes. that I would buy because I see things that are cute and I'm like, my body type is not even close to that. Yeah, it's all. always like, model so, is 5'9", wearing yeah, a size you know, extra small. It's going to work for me. So that makes a huge difference for me when I'm going to purchase something. It's just being able to see someone that looks like me. Yeah. Um, which until Instagram and even finding you and a few other people, I have not seen that. Right. And know, I so. love that a lot of like the companies that I work with, they, uh, you know, they do photo retouching for like lighting purposes and, you know, like that kind of stuff. But they don't retouch, like, again, the stretch marks. They don't retouch the silhouette. They don't retouch the double chin if you have it. Like, right, some pictures I'm like looking all slender. My, chin, <laughs> my face is all cute. And then other pictures I look all stupid with like a triple chin. But they don't retouch that because that's the real me. And one day I might look, you know, all cute and like protruding chin and slender neck. And the next day I don't. And that's just real. That's just me. And that's, I like working with photographers who respect that and acknowledge that and like you know like you said whenever you see the the, the stock photo and it's like model is five eight wearing a size <laughs> extra small like if you go to buff money and you look at any of the modeling that i've done for them on their website it'll tell you Teresa is five two wearing a size l or size xl and i think that's so cool that that we can see bodies like ours being rep represented in mainstream ours are the norm well. okay I, yeah I, no they are i feel like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not portrayed that way but it is and i want to see that and feel that way when right. i'm shopping and, you know <laughs> yeah and i think it's also important that we acknowledge um the mid-sized body because there's there's a lot of petite slender athletic and then there's the whole other end of the spectrum which is the plus size right so right. like 16 yes. to like 30 or whatever and I don't fall in either of those categories I'm very mid-size I wear from 10 size 10 to 10 to 14 and so I can't be the quote-unquote supermodel but I'm also not big enough to be a plus size model so I always say I'm a mid-sized model and that is where the majority of women are. We're in that mid-sized range. Yeah. And it, even just being short and like you said, like the double chin, like I, I, my chin is like one of my biggest insecurities and I even like plus size models, right. They always have like perfectly chiseled, yes. chiseled <laughs> jaw lines. And I'm like, you know, so just even something's <laughs> like that, like you said, yeah. like just not covering up those, like that's, this is my body. This is my face. Like it's so important for those things to be represented. Um, and I'm noticing more and more brands doing that. Um, so we love to see it and we love buff bunny. We're yeah, big fans. I'm wearing it right now. Usually <laughs> always. So me too. I'm wearing uh, the, the bottoms. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so that's just so amazing. 
Um, and then you're also an educator. Um, you mentioned you used to uh, be a fourth grade teacher, which mm-hmm. like, and then you, now you educate educators, right? Yes. So right now with everything going on, how difficult it is for educators, like just want to acknowledge that first, like how is that affecting like your mental health and your wellness journey? Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you get, you get the inside scoop. You're going to get it first. Okay. Cause I haven't announced this yet. Ooh. Um, this, this is my first, this is my last year in education. Okay. Um, I am going to complete out the school year and I've already told my principal and my boss at the district level that I will not be renewing my contract next year. Um, so there you go. You got some tea that hey. should kind of help you realize where, Good where for you are a lot of people are doing that. <laughs> you see a yeah. lot of educators leaving and it's like, I think that that's amazing for those people, right. That you're taking charge of your life and, um, moving in a direction, something that's going to give you more purpose or right. Probably, a give more back to you because I think yeah. that's probably like, what are the biggest issues would you say with being an educator? There's a There's lot, probably so many. There, there, there is, there's a lot. And I think some of it, some of it can be relatable nationwide. And some of it is only relatable, like to Texas educators, for example, critical race theory, right? We're not allowed to teach critical race theory and people will find anything and tie it to critical race theory and say, Oh, you're teaching critical race theory, right? If I want to talk about the emancipation proclamation or Juneteenth or, um, the trail of tears, right? What? That's history. I'm sorry. That's yeah, U.S. History. history. But then people are going to start saying, oh, well, no, you're teaching critical race theory. And the state of Texas says you can't teach it. So uh, we're going to get you fired. So just little bullshit like that. Um, we have bullshit. It is. It is bullshit. And then <laughs> it's currently it's right now. Scary. It is. That's like really terrifying yes. what is happening, yes. that our education system is becoming even more whitewashed. Mm-hmm. How that's, that's even possible. Right. Oof. And then there's currently an attack on books. So I'm sure you've Mm -hmm. probably seen it on the news. Yeah. So again, if there's any book that is going to insult white fragility or that it's going to make a person feel guilty for being white, I'm sorry, we've made black people feel guilty for being black their whole lives, but you know, that's another topic. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so now it's locally, at least here in Texas, I've seen where a lot of districts are doing book audits because the state is asking them to do book audits. So they're literally going through libraries and pulling out books that shouldn't be in schools. And so just like, just that, just wow, government <laughs> mandates in itself, like bullshit. <laughs> and then for my district, at least, or at least here in Houston, you know, our salaries are based on um, board, board decisions. So if they say your salary is X number of dollars, it doesn't matter how hard you work. That's, that's the cap. You, you don't make more than that, right? And since we're salary, we're working 40 hours a week at the school, but then you can't accomplish everything while at school. So teachers are having to take things home to, to lesson plan, to grade papers, to do professional development, to do this and to that, all off the clock and they don't get paid for it, and they are getting burnt out. So there's this constant attack on teachers and the curriculum itself, and now teachers are being expected to work and do all of this extra load and not get compensated for it. So I foresee, and it's inevitable, there is going to be a very large teacher shortage next school year, 
And I won't be surprised if teachers just walk out. Literally, they just walk out. This school year alone, we've had three teachers just quit in the middle of the day. They're like, wow. I can't, oh I can't. <laughs> Fuck this. And they just leave. <sighs> and, you know, good for them. But at the same time, now all of these kids are suffering because right. now they don't have a teacher and now they have a rotation of substitutes and now they're not getting the education that they need and they're not learning the curriculum. They're already mm. behind because of COVID. COVID. But now they're going to be behind even more because they don't have a teacher in the classroom. So it's just, it's a lot. And, and you it think of all the teachers a, that can't leave, that they have to, yeah. they don't have another opportunity. They need their job. So they're stuck in it too. Yes. I mean, so there's that piece too. Yes. Oh, I know. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I have, I'm going to pursue all these other avenues for income, but if I didn't, I don't know what I would do. I would be that teacher who would just be stuck in the system and with no way out. And so before it gets to that point, I'm just like, I'm going to go ahead and make my exit. (laughs) Y'all have fun without me. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for doing that. And like, I just, man, it's terrifying. It's really scary to see how all of this is going to affect this generation, right? Mm -hmm. Of kids that, like you said, they're at the end of the day, the children are the ones suffering, um, you know, the most from all of this, because who's going to teach them? And then they're being taught things that are very curated um, to whiteness right very well yeah it's it's really scary what's happening in our education system I'm really just hoping it all collapses so that we can rebuild it but that's just my opinion yeah and you know and then I think we don't we haven't really talked a lot about the trauma that a lot of our kids got from COVID yeah Um, you know we have kids who were online for a year and a half who did all their school online and so they didn't get to if they missed out on like almost two school years of socializing Mm -hmm. and interaction, right? Because everything was through the screen. And so now they're back on campus because we no longer offer online. So now we're exclusively on campus now. And these kids come back and they don't know how to socialize. So these kids are now behavior problems because again, they didn't learn. And now it's adding all these behavior problems. It's adding all of this um, like classroom interruptions. The teachers are getting frustrated. The other kids in the classrooms are getting frustrated and it's just, it's a never ending cycle of thing after thing after thing. And it's taking a mental toll, not just on the teachers, but on kids themselves as well. It's really hard to see. That's so sad. And I know for us, we had a senior through the pandemic and man, that was so hard, you know, Mm -hmm. and even him being, you know, older kid who's pretty well-rounded and has, um, you know, life experience. Um, it was really difficult for him to go from, you know, the expectation of what his senior year was supposed to look like to sitting at our kitchen table on a freaking computer, pretty much being thrown into college, style courses, yeah, you know, and that was his senior year. He didn't get to have any of the experiences. He didn't get to, you know, have his friends, prom, homecoming, none of that, you know, it was all just completely taken away. Um, and I can see how that is still affecting him and now it's probably going to affect him forever. Right. Um, it's just, it's shifted a lot. Um, and I know you have a teenager as well, and I'm sure how, how was that for you? Like, I mean, you're an educator, so you had to work and you also still had to help your son, right? 
Yeah, I think he picks up after me and he's a little nerdy one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the school part itself wasn't that hard for him. It was a socializing okay. that was hard yeah. for him. Um, but luckily they they did start the football program. So he would be at home all day, you know, doing school stuff, but then he could at least go to football practice. Oh, and, you know, they still had to mask up for football practice. They're over there in pads and masks and I'm in Texas humidity but at least they got to see each other and at least they got to play and so I honestly I think football was like his his saving grace during that time that he had that outlet to get out of the house for a little bit yeah because I mean you know Texas Texas football they don't play with their football so it's like all right we're gonna lock down for school but you still gotta come to practice yeah yeah my daughter was started college, so she ended her senior year during the pandemic, but she missed out on her prom graduate. I mean, I had to drive by for her graduation. It was a drive by out in front of the front door, you know, and then she started college and she was she shared a dorm with her best friend, but they were alone. You know, I yeah, I mean, just sitting in the room alone, nothing, no college experience. Let me tell you, it was very expensive also like can I have my money back please and she could just come home they wouldn't give the money back so she's I'm like well you're staying (laughs) I'm gonna pay for it you have to go but I think so this year it was really hard for her she was nervous to actually Mm -hmm. go to a class with 200 students and that social piece for her she was really nervous about it because she'd been online for a year and a half and, yeah. um, and alone, she's now out in the world without me. She's at school alone. And so I think it was even more kind of anxiety driven and, um, it was, it was an adjustment for her. Yeah. No, time. my little, my youngest brother had the same thing. It was his senior year. So he also, he missed his prom, uh, no graduation. graduation. They just did a, literally, they just drove, drove That's through the front door of the high school and they just handed you your diploma <laughs> through the car window. Yeah, yeah. That, that's literally it. And then my sister, so it was funny because my sister was supposed to graduate college that May. And then my little brother was going to graduate high school that May. So we were going to have like a joint graduation celebration for both of them. But neither one of them got to actually have a graduation ceremony. It was just like you drive through and they hand you your diploma through the car window. <laughs> and so, you know, I vlogged about it. It's one of my vlogs on YouTube when we went to my sister's drive through graduation. But it literally, it was like two seconds. Like you pull up and they're like, yay, here's your diploma. Okay, bye. And next we part. did the same thing. It was, it was, you know, it sucked. It did. Yeah. 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 What a time to be alive. Living through all this history. Isn't it fun? I know. We're going to look back on this and like, remember during the COVID, the pandemic. The COVID pandemic? <laughs> yes. Where everything changed forever. Right. Yeah. Like there's certain things that are just like never going to go back to the same. I think oh. masks on planes are going to be forever. I don't think they're ever going to change that. I think it's going to stay a thing. Yeah. I, I mean, which, you know, for traveling, I don't see why, like, I don't, thing. I don't see the issue. With a lot it, of other know? cultures already do that. Like, right. They, exactly. You know, People have, all over the world have been doing this yes. for yeah. centuries. Right. So <laughs> honestly, of course I, here, I, everybody's got to have a problem. Personally, I wouldn't be opposed <laughs> if I have to wear a mask on a plane for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, like it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. Not, it, I mean, and it's not just COVID, but like, I don't want to get your flu. I'm not exactly. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't even want your cold. I don't your want, yeah, I mean, keep your germs yeah. to yourself. I don't want to smell your nasty breath. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So you've mentioned a couple of times. So you're single and I saw recently you've been kind of dating. Mm-hmm. How's that going for you? What is dating like even just in this COVID world? Dating sucks. <laughs> <laughs> 
so here's my experience in dating. So, so I had to learn how to date, right? Because like all my date dating experience was in high school. And yeah. you don't date the same way in high school that you do when you're an adult. It's completely different. Hopefully dynamic, not. Right? Oh. Right. No, no, no. It's I don't not. Know it's just better so, these days. <laughs> so my last, like, you know, like I guess real relationship was my son's father when I was in high school. And so then after that, I didn't date because I just didn't have time for that. So then when I finally started to date again, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to do what everyone else is doing. I'm going to get on these apps. And um, going into the apps blind, it was a quick wake up call because you really, you picked up really quick who actually wants a relationship and who just wants to hook up and just wants to have sex. Right. And it doesn't matter what dating app you're on, it's going to happen. So um, I just had to figure that out as I went. And the pool of men that are like my age range, right? I'm not saying like I want a younger man or an older man, just like in my general age range, right? They're all either divorced. So they haven't fixed their own trauma and dealt with their (laughs) shit. And so I'm like, I already fixed myself. I'm healing. I'm working on me. So don't mm -mm, back off with your, with that, go heal yourself first. And then maybe we can talk again. Um, So there's that. Then there's the immature men um, who, you know, have multiple kids with multiple women who are just out here on these streets. Then you have the creepy men um, (laughs) who are just creepy AF. So (laughs) You know, they, they're like, oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah, but they're all trash, okay? So <laughs> you have to find that one angelfish in the sea that you really, really want to um, date. And, and even that, just, it's hard. And so, I don't know, I go through periods of like, okay, I'm going to actively, purposefully date, right? And then it just gets disappointing. So I'm like, all right, I'm taking a break from this. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's been a roller coaster of its own. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm still out here. I'm doing the thing. I'm not to the point where I'm going to give up on dating or anything like that. It's just, it takes intentional effort and purpose to, to, to go out there and really date, to find a person that you genuinely want to be with and not just hook up with. That Mm -hmm. adds to your already good life. Yes. (laughs) And that's the thing, especially, you know, like, um, being a mom, I always say like, my son doesn't need a father. My, right. He's grown. He's got plenty of, you know, uh, male role models. He's got my brothers-in-law, my brothers, my dad. Um, I have some male friends who have also been able to provide that positive male role model figure. So my son doesn't need a father, but whoever I bring into my life still has to be a positive male role model. Right. And they have to fit in into our life and vice versa. So in the back of my head, I always think about those things too. Like, okay, but would, would you fit in with us or vice versa? Do I see myself fitting in with you and your lifestyle and just lifestyles in general? Um, you know, I refuse to go back to a lifestyle where I just pig out and do nothing. I'm a very ambitious, hardworking person. So the person that I am with needs to be appreciative of that or needs to be ambitious themselves because I was dating someone earlier this year, like the beginning of, of 2021. And, um, you know, he resented me for that. He resented that, that I was so busy and that I had so much going for myself and that I was too much. So I was like, all right, well, if I'm too much like that, 
Instagram saying goes, if I'm too much, then go find less because <laughs> I'm not going to lower myself because you're insecure, right? So it's challenging to find all the puzzle pieces that fit, t- that fit together. So what, what is your, what does the dream man look like? What do, what do you look for in a guy? Cause who knows, maybe he could be listening to the show or maybe someone knows somebody. Uh, you said you're in Texas. Houston, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm in Houston. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't have a physical type. I have, I have, if we look at all the guys that I've dated, if we put them on, on a line, they are all over the place, right? So I don't have I'm the same type. way. I'm the yeah. same way. Yeah. I'm all about energy. Yes. 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 So that's, that's what I look for. I look at the, the energy. I look at um, lifestyle. So I want someone who is just as passionate and driven about something as I am. It doesn't have to be the same things I'm passionate and driven about, but some, but have your own thing, right? Because when a person comes into my life, they are not going to be my number one, everything, right? They're going to be a part of my life. So the way I see it is, you know, I used to talk to kids about heart maps. That's how I got to know my kids and they have to draw this little heart map. And then they would divide the heart into different sections. And then each part of the heart, they would tell, like, tell us about the things that make them them. So in one part of the heart, it's like my family. And then it's like your hobbies. And, and that's how I look at my heart too. It's like, here's my heart. And I have all of these different parts of me and then I have one spot open right there for the perfect person. Not necessarily have to be the perfect person, but person that fits the in with person. me. Right. And so when I, when I look at someone else, that's how I approach them. I don't want to be your everything. I don't want you like hovering over me because I'm the only thing you're like, I can't do that. No, I can't. Right. But be passionate, be driven be confident. There's something so sexy about a confident man. Um, and just for me, education is important and, and, you know, having an active lifestyle is important. So those are the things that I really, really look for. Well, we're going to manifest it for you in 2022. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He will find you. (laughs) Oh, this has been so much fun. Um, like I said, if you haven't checked out that is podcast, make sure you go and do that. Um, is there anything else you want to tell the people before we go? Um, no, I mean, you know, you know where to follow me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. I'm on, I'm everywhere. My podcast page too. Um, just, I, I love the support that everybody gives me. And I hope that the content that I put out also helps you realize your worth, your, your resilience, and that you can tap into that potential because we are all, you know, endless taps of potential. You just have to tap into it a little bit. So yeah, thank you for having me on. And I'm so glad we got to do this. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please leave us a review. We greatly appreciate that. And we'll see you bitches next Monday. Bye.